listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're in this series right now, Secrets from the Greats, and we've been covering mighty men of God that through the years have shaken their generation, their nation, and the world with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so um, I'm continuing that today. Uh, On Monday, we covered A.A. Allen and um, a little bit on Dr. Paul Youngi Cho who pastored the largest church in the world at the time, over a million members, Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. We covered their uh, secrets to their success in ministry and in uh, impacting their generation. That was Monday. Um, We've covered Dr. John G. Lake. And I'm telling you, his ministry was so dynamic. Um, I, I showed you the book... It's a large collection of his life teachings that was uh, released by uh, Pastor Roberts Learden. I would recommend you get that. There's also one uh, that was produced by Kenneth Copeland's ministry. Uh, Really, really powerful. I mean, you go through the stories of his life, just absolutely dynamic when you see uh, how God used him with creative miracles and... um, the healing miracles. I mean, over a hundred thousand documented miracles in 10 years in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, supernatural ministry. Uh, and so we covered the secrets of his ministry. Um, we covered Dr. Oral Roberts yesterday who, uh, taught the body of Christ, the miracle of seed faith, what God revealed to him about seed faith. What a powerful revelation changed not only his life and his ministry, but literally the nation. He traveled after World War II, uh, the United States of America under his 20,000 seat tent, saw it filled. Miracle after miracle took place. Um, We played some of those miracles, uh, which were filmed yesterday on the broadcast and um, just absolutely dynamic. Um, Before we get into today, because I don't have time to teach on uh, everybody that I'd like to teach on, but uh, today, primarily, we're going to cover, I sent a, a message this morning that said we're going to cover a preacher who not only raised the dead, but he healed people by punching them. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some of those stories today. But of course, I'm talking about uh, Smith Wigglesworth, the British evangelist from Bradford, England, uh, who was a plumber and was saved later in life. Um, couldn't even read. He was illiterate and learn to read later in life. We'll talk about all that today, but he had amazing things take place in his ministry. Um, but I just want to mention, I, don't, I won't have time to teach on his life and ministry, but how could you teach on these mighty men without mentioning Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who was uh, probably the greatest evangelist statistically, in the history of the world. We're talking about a man who, in the last 10 years of his ministry, saw um, over 80 million 
salvations in Nigeria alone. These are not um, estimated salvations. They made people fill out cards so they could follow up with them. And he, I heard him say this personally. Uh, Dr. Bonke said when we were in his office in Orlando that they wouldn't even count the cards unless they were fully filled out and legible. Because if they couldn't follow up with the people, they didn't count the cards because they had no way to disciple those conversions. And uh, if you think about that, I mean, amazing what God used him to do. And um, so Dr. Bonke has a phenomenal, actually, do we have a copy of Living a Life of Fire here in the studio? I just want to show it. If you don't have this book, I would highly, and I do mean very highly, recommend that you get his autobiography, which is entitled Living a Life of Fire. Living a Life of Fire. Um, In my opinion, one of the best uh, biographies, and it's an autobiography, ever written about a man of God. It reads like a novel. It's very well written, very interesting to read. What an amazing life he had. I mean, absolutely amazing life. Um, his father and mother were put into a prison camp during World War II um, under the Nazi regime. And uh, his father would not become part of the SS, uh, but he was part of the German army, but would not uh, become part of the SS. People don't know this. They would imprison um, even Germans that would not serve the Fuhrer like that. And so his, he was in a prison camp. His mother was in a prison camp and all the children were in prison camps. Um, and then his father got out, felt the call to pastor, and uh, just an amazing book. So Living a Life of Fire, if you, if you order that, you won't be sad that you did. Um, but I wanna show you quickly, if you've never seen this, one of my favorite videos. He first showed this to me in his office in Orlando. Um, my father and my mother and I and other pastors went there to have lunch with him and meet with him. And um, when I saw this video, I just, um, I just wept to see what God did through his ministry. So if you've never seen anything like this before, this is a compilation of the uh, altar calls and crusades that he had throughout Nigeria. And uh, it's, it, as it says in the video, it's monumental, it's historic. Why is it historic? These types of things have never uh, happened before. They've never happened before like this. Um, my mother-in-law says, do not let the size of that book deter you. It's a great read because um, it is very thick. It's a very thick autobiography, but it is a great, she's right, it's a great read. But I want to just show you this video real quick, then we'll get into um, evangelist Smith Wigglesworth. But check out this mighty, I mean, the miracles that God did of salvation through this man's ministry were um, truly historic. Check this video out.
tonight you may come here as weak as can be you will go home like a conqueror with Jesus inside of you Powerful, man. I mean, absolutely powerful to, to watch that happen, those crowds. He told us in one of those nights, um, they had 1.03 million people come to the altar at one time. Not in attendance, come to the altar. They had, he said that night, they had 375,000 altar workers. So it was swamped because they still had one person for like every three people that were coming to the altar. It was like swamped. But I'm telling you, when you see those things and understand that um, men like Dr. Bonke, T.L. Osborne, who is such a pow- was such a powerful man of God, um, preached in 70 plus nations of the world, had held mass crusades. Um, and I believe, I believe it was 77 uh, nations of the world. Powerful. And open the door for many other things in nations that, that at that time were not open to the gospel. And so, there's so there are so many men of God we could talk about. It's, uh, it's, it's probably endless. We could go on and on and on. There are ma- many mighty men through the ages. I want to cover today with you uh, Smith Wigglesworth uh, as well. Because Smith Wigglesworth was a very unusual man. But um, he made some decisions in his life later in life that I believe made him a very unique servant of God. And, um, you know, he was, he was an interesting guy, a a British plumber. He was from a place called Bradford in England and he was a British plumber and he had a bad temper. And, um, truly the story, the story is that it was his wife, Polly, who was saved first. And, uh, when she came home, after being saved, you know, he was angry about it and uh, basically took her and threw her out of the house. 
and locked her out all night long. And the next morning when he came downstairs uh, and opened the door to get the newspaper, she was still there waiting on the, uh, you know, the, the porch or, or the stoop, whatever you have right there where your stairs are, where you open the door. And she came right inside with a sweet spirit and began to make him breakfast. He saw the change in his wife. And um, after she was saved, he was saved. And um, as I said earlier, um, he was a very uneducated man. Smith Wigglesworth, very uneducated man. He was illiterate and then learned to read later in life and uh, had made up his mind that um, he was going to devote himself simply to the Bible, simply to the Bible. But there's a couple of things. There's a book that he, that he um, I mean, this came out in 1927, I believe, um, or 1924. This is, this is probably his most famous uh, book that was released called Ever Increasing Faith. This is an old version of it. We have newer versions of it now. Ever Increasing Faith. And um, he, he was such a man of one book, the Bible, that he literally would encourage other ministers to burn their libraries. And, I, and, and the author of this book, George Stormont, this is called Wigglesworth, A Man Who Walked With God. If you can find this, you should order it uh, personally. We're going to include one of his books uh, in the pack that we're, that we're giving, but uh, not this one. But if you can find this one, Wigglesworth, A Man Who Walked With God, the stories are great. It's, it's phenomenal. But he says, George Stormont says, um, he, did, he didn't think Wigglesworth meant his words to be taken literally, but there were ministers that did burn their whole libraries and just only have the Bible after he said that. And uh, he said there was another minister that had to come behind Wigglesworth and encourage those uh, preachers after they've lost their whole library that they owned. But he was focusing on the importance of God's word. And um, <laughs> it makes me laugh that he, that he did that. And he, he had such a, a strong feeling towards it. But when people asked him later on, you know, uh, you told people to burn their libraries, but you've released two books. You've written two books. <laughs> and Wigglesworth said, I, I've written no books. People listened to my preaching and took the notes down and put my sermons out in book form. <laughs> so he wouldn't even admit to writing and releasing any books. Um, but he does have a couple of books out that came from his material personally. And there's some books where other people have written about him and his life. The George Stormont book is a great one to get. I love the stories. But I want to cover some of those principles with you. What are we talking about? We're calling this series Secrets from the Greats. And um, we're looking at their lives and ministries. What caused them to have great success? What caused them to impact their generation and impact the world? That's what we're looking at today and this week. And again, if you missed any of these sessions, uh, you can go back into the um, playlist on YouTube and, and watch them all again. We have them there stored for you. But um, one of the things that I wanted to cover was that he had such a boldness about him. So number one, put it in the comments, a boldness. That there's one thing nobody can deny about Smith Wigglesworth is that he operated in a different kind of boldness. And that's a necessary thing when you're making an impact for the kingdom. You've got to have a boldness. There's no question about it. You can't be timid. 
You can't, you can't have, your life can't be filled with trepidation. You can't always be wondering whether or not you should do something. Got to have a boldness to step out and do, to step out and say what needs to be said. And he would do that. He didn't care what people thought about it. And by the way, uh, once again today, those of you that are watching, we're coming back at 12 noon again today to pray for our half hour of prayer. So don't miss that. We're going to pray again today at, at, at 12 noon. It was funny. George was telling a story. The man who wrote this book, George Stormont, he was telling a story. He said uh, they had Smith Wigglesworth into their home for dinner and they were getting ready to have dessert. <laughs> and, and George Stormont's wife had made a pie, but she was kind of being apologetic for the pie. And she said, um, her words were, I'm sorry, Brother Wigglesworth, the pie isn't up to standard. And he said, both my wife and I were taken aback by his response. Shut up, woman. No complaints. The blessing is on it. Once we've prayed over our food, it's sanctified. And we must never complain or apologize. That was his, that was his response when she said, sorry, the pie is not up to snuff. Shut up, woman. <laughs> We've already blessed the food. It's already sanctified. We don't complain. We don't apologize. Very blunt, but very bold. Always said what he meant and meant what he said. Always said what he meant and meant what he said. He never, uh, you know, minced words to save feelings. He said what needed to be said to get the point across. And he was very bold about it. He was very plain with his words. It left no room for interpretation. He said what he meant. And he meant what he said. Well, that, that's part of the boldness. You know, there are times God will tell you to say something. God will tell you to do something. And when he does, you have to be willing to say it and to do it. You have to. Because there, of course, you're going to be uh, tempted by the enemy to not uh, step out. What will people think of you if you say that? Well, what will people think of you if you do that? The, the answer is, who cares? What does God think about you in obedience or disobedience? That's the real question. And so my aim, and he, under, he understood this, Smith Wigglesworth understood this. My aim is to please the Lord. That's it, to please the Lord. And so he was bold about it. He had a violent faith. I want you to put that down, number two. He had a violent faith. That's the second thing I, I want you to see from his ministry very powerful, a violent faith. <laughs> when I sent that out today, he's not only a preacher that raised the dead, uh, 14 people, they say from the dead, but he had a violent faith. He would punch people sometimes when ministering to them and, uh, punch them until they received their healing. Um, which I'll, I'll show you in a moment, but, um, George Stormont covers a few different stories. He said there was a salvation army girl who came forward for prayer wearing her regulation straw bonnet hat. She was crippled and walked with a cane. But as Smith Wigglesworth prayed for her, he shook her so hard that her, that her hat fell off. But she was totally unmindful of that because as she was ministered to, the power of God shot through every part of her body and she dropped her cane saying, I'll not need that anymore. And moving around the building, she demonstrated that she was completely Heal, but he just shook her until he shook that crippling condition out of her body by the gift of faith. Uh, he said a farmer came up to him 
uh, for prayer for a stomach problem. And Wigglesworth said, stand there. And then he hit the man right in the stomach and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the man was instantly healed. He tells another story about uh, a young, or a brother of, there was a man whose name was David Duplessis. He was, uh, con- he was called Mr. Pentecost. He, he traveled around the world, met with dignitaries, met with religious leaders, powerful man of God. But this was his brother, whose name was Justice, and um, he needed, he, or he told this story, they were, they were in South Africa ministering one time. And uh, this woman, this Afrikaans woman, came uh, for prayer. And uh, Wigglesworth hit her as, as he prayed for this woman. And she said, oh, that's the way, is it? And she hit him back. <laughs> but the next night she was back in the meeting. She asked for an opportunity to make a public apology for, her, for hitting the servant of the Lord. Because after she got home the night before, she discovered that every trace of her illness was gone. So he hit her when she prayed. She got healed, didn't even know she was healed. And um, the funny thing was, it's not that, um, oh, I'll tell you one other one before I tell this. Uh, When he was in Australia at a conference, there was this man who developed cancer of the throat um, and had bandages around his throat at all times to, to hide and protect painful cancerous sores. And um, when, when he came up for prayer, Wigglesworth asked him what was wrong. And then he slapped his father's neck hard. The guy that needed a miracle with the tumors slapped his neck hard. And the astonishing thing was that that man could hardly stand even the bandages around his throat because his neck was so painful. But then when Wigglesworth slapped him, he felt no pain at all. In fact, he didn't even notice the slap. And he said, go home, take those bandages off in the morning. You'll find the growths have gone. He returned home, went to bed and slept, and uh, he used to have pain and not be able to sleep. The next morning, removed the bandages, and the growths had disappeared entirely. He was completely healed. Violent faith. And it was not just medicine he dealt out to others. He, He wanted it like that in his own life when someone prayed for him. He wanted somebody to pray like that for him. And um, he said uh, that there was a man named John Nelson Parr in Manchester. Um, The evangelist Wigglesworth was in pain from a bad back and asked that evangelist Parr to pray for him. And Parr did, gently laying hands on the afflicted part of Wigglesworth's back. (laughs) And, And Wigglesworth said, that's no good, John. You must thump it out. Come on and pray properly. <laughs> and he said, Parr did his instructed prayed again, this time hitting Wigglesworth really hard in the back where the pain was. And Wigglesworth shouted, that's it. Hallelujah. It's gone. <laughs> so it's not like he just did this to others. He wanted it done to himself. He believed in that kind of violent faith. I've seen that happen before. I've seen it happen where I was watching a, a, a video of, of, Jack Coe during the Voice of Healing revival one time, and a woman came up, and the video's on YouTube, a woman came up, and she had a cancerous growth on her cheek, and um, he, st- he stood her in front of him, in front of the whole crowd, and took hold of it to begin to pray, and um, as he's praying, he-, he took it and just pulled it right off her face, it fell right into his hand, and-, and you can see it on YouTube, it's still there, he said, look at that mother, I think we may have even played it on the broadcast before, he said, look at that mother, he said, look at that cancerous tumors. 
He said, where's it at? She said, oh my God, you know, it's, it's a great video. And, and literally pulled it right off of her face. Gift of faith, the gift of faith. And uh, I've seen miracle after miracle like that, where God uses someone by the gift of faith to do something. I've told you stories about our ministry, how God has asked us to do things that's like, it's wild. I've told you about some of my family. My father's done that many times. My uncles have done it, you know, and it just seems crazy at the moment, but you're just doing what the Lord tells you to do by the leading of the spirit. And, uh, God uses it. God uses it. Um, but without question, Wigglesworth had a violent faith. That's one of the things I believe that his willingness and that combined with the boldness, see, because you won't, you won't do those things that activate that violent faith. You'll not do them without a boldness. You'll not do them without a boldness. Well, it was because he was a man of the word. No question he was, but, um, I thought this was interesting. You've probably heard this quotation many times and people say it now it's bumper stickers and t-shirts and bracelets, but it's believed that he was the one who originated this quotation. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And, uh, George said, he's, he's the one that, um, originated the often repeated saying, um, he's, I love this. He writes in the book, it seems as if though Smith Wigglesworth was guided by two main principles in his life. The first question was this, what endangers my relationship with Jesus? That was the first question. He would do whatever he did in his life. He would first ask himself that question, be introspective. Is there anything that endangers my relationship with Jesus? He was always looking out for that. And then the second question, what would the Lord have me do? Those two questions, what endangers my relationship with Jesus and what would the Lord have me do? That's a God first mentality. And, um, he writes this, if Wigglesworth was in the company of Christians who were engaged in any of, uh, the types of things like hobbies, reading books, listening to music. He considered those to be distracting things in his own life. And he never condemned, he writes, he never condemned other Christians for having hobbies or reading books or listening to music or, uh, you know, any of those things. But he said for him, he didn't pass judgment. He wasn't condemning, but he would just excuse himself. And uh, George Stormont writes, he would graciously and kindly say, if you don't mind, I'll just go to my room and pray. And he would excuse himself from the company that he was with and just go up to his room and begin to pray and be- begin to seek the Lord. And, and the other thing that, that's so powerful about that is that uh, the, the Bible was the only thing that he would intake into his spirit, only thing. And the reason for that is, um, as I said, he was very uneducated and, and illiterate. So, um, he learned to read much later in life. And Stormont writes, after he learned to read, he made a deliberate choice to limit his reading to the Bible. That's it. He made a deliberate choice to limit his reading to the Bible. 
And he was so strict about this that um, Dr. Lester Sumrall tells a story that he once went to visit um, Smith Wigglesworth at his home in England, and uh, he thought he would impress him by looking like an English gentleman. And so Lester Sumrall had the three-piece suit on, had the hat on, had the umbrella, and he said, I had a newspaper under my arm. And he said, I knocked on the door, and when Wigglesworth opened the door, he said, you can come in, but you need to leave that outside in the bushes, pointing at the newspaper. (laughs) And he said, you can come into my house, but you can leave that outside. We only read the Bible in this house is the point that he was making. He said something interesting to his grandson about the, about the newspaper. He said, Leslie, that was his grandson. He said, Leslie, if I read the newspaper, I come out dirtier than when I went in. But if I read my Bible, I come out cleaner than I went in. And he said, I like being clean. If I read the newspaper, I come out dirtier than I went in. But if I read my Bible, I come out cleaner than I went in and I like being clean. That's how he thought about the Bible. That's how he thought about scripture. Of course he could read other things if he wanted to, he didn't want to. He said, I only want to read God's word. Well, what, where do you think this boldness came from? Where do you think this kind of communion with God came from? Where do you think this kind of violent faith came from? It came from constantly ingesting the mighty word of God constantly ingesting the mighty word of God. No question about that. And he had a close uh, communion with God on a daily basis. You know, they talk about, um, you know, Brother Wigglesworth is a man who had very, very close communion with God, even taking communion many times on a daily basis. And of course, his prayer life, of course, his word life. But I'll tell you something else. It was said about Wigglesworth that even into the older years of his life, when he was in his 80s, he would get out of bed every day and dance before the Lord for 10 straight minutes in in the morning. He would get out of bed and dance before the Lord just to praise God. So he had a prayer life. He had a praise life. He had a word life. And of course, he was constantly listening to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Obinet asked the question, is it possible that the numerous distractions and information are limiting the power of God in our day? Yes, it is possible. No question, there's time wasters that the enemy tries to send our way. And now more than ever before, our attentions are being pulled in every direction, every direction. And information, as he said in the comment, is so uh, readily available, so readily available that you can, you know, we have our phones, we have iPads, we've got laptops, we've got smart TVs, you know, we've got everything. Everything's accessible. Communication's so easy. We can be pulled out. That's why I encourage people, when you're doing your Bible reading, you know, we're in the middle of a series called Supercharging Your Devotions within Bible Study Made Simple. And we're getting ready to reopen the course, um, Bible Study Made Simple for the fall in just really a few weeks. But one of the things we're teaching in the Supercharging Your Devotions section is when you're doing your devotional reading, when you're reading the Bible, I always tell people and recommend to them, do it in an actual Bible if possible. 
Because if you read on your phone, if you're reading on your tablet, there's so much temptation to jump over or then you get a notification. At the very least, if you're gonna have to use a digital, digital device, put do not disturb on so that there's no notifications coming in. And there's no distractions of swiping other, over to another app and uh, you know, all of those different things. And um, uh, Veronica said, are you having it on Zoom? No, the, the courses are not on Zoom. We have them at miraclewordu.com. Miracle Word U, if you wanna put the lower third up for that so people can see it. Um, miraclewordu.com, all of our courses are there. And um, yeah, a Kindle Bible may help as well because there aren't necessarily, if you're just like talking about a paper white, there's not like necessarily other apps that, that are gonna pull you away. But I always recommend to people, do something that's, I even tell people to turn, turn your devices to silent. And if you have to put them in another room, put them in another room so that you're not pulled away from your devotional time with God. Because there are far too many distractions. Far too many distractions. We put the link there for everybody uh, in the comments for miraclewordu.com. All of our courses are there on topical subjects plus Bible Study Made Simple, which is an ongoing course. Um, but I, I recommend that because, you know, there's too many distractions. And, and when those distractions, the enemy can use them to pull us out of our focus on God, pull us out of prayer. It never fails, does it? You, you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some praying and everybody under the sun starts calling you and everybody under the sun starts texting you. And then your, then your Apple watch is on and you start getting vibrate, vibrate, vibrate on your wrist. You got to turn things off, take them off and just start pressing in um, to the presence of God and don't be distracted. And I totally agree with that statement. So he had a communion with God that was unbroken. They say he used to travel around with a pocket New Testament in his shirt pocket. And he'd take it out, if he was, even if he was on the train, wherever it was, he would take it out and read it in, in, wherever he was. He'd be praying wherever he was. He had an understanding of those things, that it, the, the power of communion with God, the power of daily communion with God. It's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Um, the other thing that I thought was very interesting uh, is he understood dominion over the devil. I believe this is something that, Lester Sumrall picked up as well uh, by impartation from Smith Wigglesworth and Howard Carter, dominion over the devil. And uh, one of the stories that are, that are written about him is that uh, he was in his house and felt uh, an evil presence downstairs, came down into the living room and there sitting in an armchair in the living room was Satan, to Wigglesworth, was sitting there, was Satan. And this, as the story goes, he looked at him and said, oh, it's only you. Turned around and went back to his bedroom and went to bed. <laughs> oh, it's only you. You're defeated, as if to say, no big deal. You're already defeated. You're a nothing. You're not worth my time or attention. It's only you. It's just you. He was a mighty man of God, raising people from the dead. There was a man who died and had already been embalmed and was in a casket in like a parlor where people were mourning him. And he goes in, he goes in there, takes the man by the suit lapels, pulls him out 
and holds him up against the wall and says, live in Jesus name. And when he let him go, the man slumped to the floor, just as dead as before. Think of the faith to do this. Pick the body up again and said, live in Jesus name. And the man slumped to the floor a second time. And on the third time, picked him up, live. I said, live in Jesus name. The man sneezed and came back to life and they walked out together. You talk about clearing out a funeral home. (laughs) The man had been embalmed, embalmed. His wife had passed away while he was out doing a mission. And he said that she had always said, when I'm preaching, I feel that I'll die right here in the mission as I'm serving God and working for God. He came back from doing his mission and heard the, the word that she was, she had passed away. And um, he went up to where she was. Yeah, his, his wife, Polly. And she was already gone, but he grabbed hold of her and commanded death to let her go. And he said, she, she came back to him for a few moments and spoke to him, but he heard the Lord say to him, give her up. She's, she's mine now, Smith. She's mine now. She's coming home to me. And so he let her go back to heaven, (laughs) raised his wife from the dead just to say goodbye. I mean, think about it, the power. And so they say 14 people, raised 14 people from the dead. He had a very um, interesting prophecy I wanted to read you. Two prophecies to be uh, exact. Two prophecies that were consecutive about revival. And I want to cover this real, real real quick because we're seeing what he prophesied, which is supernatural. Let me, um, let me read these two prophecies to you. The story's often been told of Wigglesworth's prophecy over the late David Duplessis. He was, conduct, he was conducting a crusade in David's church in South Africa. Early one morning, he walked into David's office and without greeting, declared to him that in the last days, Before Jesus returned, there would be a move of the Holy Spirit surpassing all previous moves. It would overrun all boundaries, national and denominational. David Duplessis, he declared, would be a principal instrument in God's hand to bring this to pass. Now think about this. In 1942... Wigglesworth talked to me about this prophecy, saying that he would not live to see this glorious revival. He died in 1947, the year that David Duplessis arrived from South Africa at the World Pentecostal Conference in Zurich, Switzerland. From that point, his ministry and influence spread, and Duplessis carried the full message of Pentecost into areas no one thought it would ever go, and prepared the way for the charismatic renewal, which developed in an astonishing way during the 1960s and the 1970s. And he became known as Mr. Pentecost and met with heads of otherwise liberal denominations and with the Pope in Rome. A week before Wigglesworth's death, he prophesied again during a week-long crusade. This time, 
he foretold a second move of the Spirit. The first move would bring the restoration of the gifts of the Spirit. So we saw that take place uh, during the voice of healing, didn't we? We saw that very strong. We talked about with, that with A.A. A. Allen and Oral Roberts and Jack Coe and Raymond T. Ritchie and all, all these men that God used, David Nunn, all these men that God used right after World War II. You know, of course, World War II came to a close in 1945. And then in 1946, you know, we start to see, and the soldiers are back home to the United States and these meetings began. And so he, he prophesied this earlier on and then talked about that prophecy in 1942 while the world war was still going on. But then, uh, right after it ended in 1945, the voice of healing revival began, just like Wigglesworth said would come to pass. The first revival would bring a restoration of the gifts of the spirit. Notice what he said. It would notice how now he, how he said this would work. He said that this would be a glorious revival that would overrun all boundaries, national and denominational. That's one of the things that happened in the voice of healing revivals in the 1940s and 50s is that it wasn't just among the assemblies of God or the church of God or the Methodist church or whatever. No, people came from everywhere. As I told you on Monday, A.A. Allen would not even segregate the tent meetings like they wanted him to. They pressured him to make the black people sit in the back, have the white people sit in the front. And they'd try to put a rope up to segregate the crowd. And A.A. Allen would rip the rope down and say, we're not, we're not going to segregate God's people. It, it transcended denominational lines. Denominations came against him. You know, did you ever wonder why these mighty men of God who early on held, held credentials with some of these Pentecostal denominations, but as their ministries exploded and they grew, they turned their credentials back into these denominations and left them because there was pressure and manipulation coming from these, from these denominations that wanted to clamp a hold on what God was doing through these revivals wanted to control how everything was going to run. Oh, you won't do it like we want. We're going to start. Okay. You can have your credentials back because I don't need your credentials to have revival. And you start to realize why these men of God turn their credentials back in because you can't manipulate and control a move of God. And, and as Wigglesworth prophesied, it would transcend boundaries. It would transcend denominations, right? And it did. It absolutely did. And it did bring the gifts of the spirit back to the forefront again the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues and interpretation, gifts of healing, working of miracles, the gift of faith, discerning of spirits. It brought it right back, brought it right back to the forefront during the voice of healing movement, right back. And then the second revival, listen to, listen to this. He said it also um, prepared the way for the charismatic renewal. You remember, uh, if you remember church history in the 1960s and 70s, all these Catholics began getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. All, things just began to shift. And there was a shift towards what Wigglesworth prophesied. Listen to this. He foretold a second move of the Spirit. The first move would bring the restoration of the gifts of the Spirit. The second would bring a revival of emphasis on the Word of God. On the Word of God. That's what the charismatic renewal and the Word of Faith movement did. That's what, that's what, you know, the brother Hagin's work was all about. And these, these men of God in the word of faith movement, that's exactly what happened. It became an emphasis on the word of God 
as well as the gifts of the Spirit in operation. So the two things Wigglesworth prophesied came to pass. But then look at this. Here's a powerful quote. He said, when these two moves of the Spirit combine, we shall see the greatest move the church of Jesus Christ has ever seen. I feel the anointing just saying that, recounting his quote here. And this book was written in, um, the copyright on this book is in uh, 1989. So this written in 1989, he writes, George writes at the end of the chapter, already there are signs that this is beginning to develop. Oh, absolutely it was. Absolutely it was. In 89, charismatic renewal and the, the word of faith still full swing. But now look what we're seeing. See, here's what's so powerful. And I'm going to tell you something that's interesting. I, I, I didn't know this at the time, but when the Lord directed me to change my Bible school, my, see my father and all of his family and even my cousins, like my cousin, Jonathan, his sister, Jessica, all went to the same Bible school, a Pentecostal Bible school. And, um, that's where I was going. And then I felt the Holy spirit shift my direction. And had me go to Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's Brother Kenneth Hagin's school that he launched, the Word of Faith. And um, I said something to my dad, and I was just a young teenager. I was just a teenager. I said, Dad, I, ha- I have this feeling. You know, we come out of Pentecost, the Pentecostal revivals, the Pentecostal move. I said, I'm going to go to the Bible school where the Word of Faith is being preached. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go there and I'm going to receive that impartation of the word of faith. But these two streams are coming together. That, that's what I told my dad. And I was like 17 years old when I told my dad this. I said, dad, I'm going to the Bible school. I said, but we're, these two streams are going to come together. The Pentecostal power, the gifts of the spirit, the miracle signs and wonders and the word of faith and the emphasis on the word of God. I said, those two streams are going to come together and we'll see these revivals. I, I talked to my dad about that when I was 17 17 years old, that that's what Wigglesworth was prophesying. These two streams are coming together. And then after I left Bible school, I still had that in my spirit. And I was walking around in the parking lot of a holiday inn in Marlboro, Massachusetts and, uh, praying. Cause I was getting ready to launch my ministry and I was praying, Lord, what do you want this ministry to be called? What do you want this ministry to be called? And I heard it almost instantly walking around in that fall day in, in, in Rhode Island or in Massachusetts. And I heard the Lord say, you're to call it miracle word ministries, miracle word ministries. And of course, now we, we launched miracle word church in West Palm beach, but he was, he was specific about that very thing because the miracle aspect of that was the Pentecostal Holy ghost flow. That Wigglesworth spoke of. Of course, at, I told you, I didn't know those things Wigglesworth said back then. But that, that miracle half was what the Lord impressed upon me. The Pentecostal power. That miracle signs and wonders power. But then the other side that would make up the ministry, the word. That word of faith. That word of faith anointing and power. The emphasis on the word of God. Combined together, the miracle word. And he gave me, and of course, this has been, this has been the... Um, the theme verse of our ministry since the beginning. 
Psalm 107 and verse 20. He sent his word and it healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. He sent his word and it healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. The word brought miracles. It's a miracle word. It's a miracle word. So that, that's been from the beginning. That's been what God asked me to do and instructed me to do. And then later in my life, I found out about this prophecy by Wigglesworth that he said the exact same thing, that there would be a, a renewal of the power of God and the gifts of the spirit and the emphasis on the word of God. And then they would, the two streams would converge and it'd be the mightiest move of God the world's ever seen. And he said, and he said this, and I love how George Stormont finished it. He said, when these two moves of, of the spirit combine, we shall see the greatest move the church of Jesus Christ has ever seen. Can I tell you something? If you want to know the truth about it, that's what Bishop Oyedepo is doing. That's what Pastor Adeboye is doing. That's what these men of God that are, that are shaking the world, that's what they're doing. It's a mixture of the spirit of God in, in Pentecostal power and the emphasis on the word of faith. That's it. If you want to look at the, that happening in the largest context, look at what Pastor Adeboy, look what, look what Bishop David Adepo is doing in Nigeria, who believed, he said, whatever is in Hagen that makes Hagen Hagen, give it to me, Lord. He, he traveled to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma in the 80s and saw all that God was doing at Ramah. And Bishop Oyedepo said, whatever makes Hagen Hagen, I want it, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. I want it. We play that Adeboye video this week. Um, I believe that's the one, isn't it, where he had all that, the line of people that were asking him the question and asking Brother Hagen at his thing, what, what would you like? We'd like to publish your books in Nigeria. What would you like? We'd like to publish your tapes in Nigeria. A long line of preachers that were talking to Brother Hagen. All right, he'd say, okay, no problem. I'd like to publish your tapes in Nigeria. All right, no problem. I'd like to publish your sermons in Nigeria. No problem. And then Pastor Adeboye stood before him. And he said, what, what would you like? He said, I want what's in you. I want what's in you. That's, that's what he said. I don't, I don't want your tapes. I don't want your books. I don't want your sermons to be public. I want what's in you to be in me. That's what these men saw. That's what Pastor Adeboye saw. That's what Bishop Oyedepo saw. That they, the Pentecostal power mixed with the word of faith. And look what, it's, look what it's produced. Look what it's produced in Nigeria. A supernatural result. The largest things, I want you to think about this. The largest things that have ever happened in the history of the world in any arena. When you see the meetings... The Holy Ghost meetings or the Pentecostal Congress Pastor Adeboye has. When you see that, it's the largest gathering of people for any reason ever in the history of the world. When you have three, four million people gather in one place, there's no sporting event that does that. There's no political rally that does that. There's no music festival that does that. These are Pentecostal Holy Ghost meetings drawing the largest crowds in the history of the world. Look at those crowds I showed you on Dr. Bonke's video. The largest crowds in the history of the world are happening where? At Pentecostal Holy Ghost gatherings. It's unprecedented. It's totally 
unprecedented. Why is it not covered on Fox News? Why is it not covered on CNN and CNBC? Why are there no cameramen there from ABC showing you? Look at this. You know who do who does cover it and has to cover it because they want to keep an eye on what's going on? Al Jazeera TV. The Muslims are keeping a close eye on what's happening. Why? Because it's such a massive thing. It's shaking the nation and other nations. Did you know that after... Um, Australia had lifted the ban once on uh, same-sex marriage. Pastor Adeboye traveled there, did a two-week meeting called Let the Wind Blow, and when they finished their crusade in in Australia, the government put the ban back on same-sex marriage. I mean, shaking nations. Shaking nations. And what I'm telling you is, it takes these things. It takes boldness. It takes the Word of God. It takes the Spirit of God, the power of God to make these things happen. God is not just randomly doing things. He's using people on the earth. He's using you. He's using me. He needs us to yield to his Holy Spirit. I'm not just doing this week to teach you about other people. I'm showing you the secrets of these men that shook their generation because you're anointed to shake yours. You have a circle of influence that God's given you and you have authority over the devil, but you also have the ability to move your circle of influence into the kingdom of God. And then God enlarges your circle of influence. God, God enlarges your, your ability to, um, affect your generation. If you're faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. Hallelujah. Faithful over little, make you ruler over much. That's how God's kingdom works. It's first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn on the ear. The kingdom's based on increase. Always works like that. Don't despise the day of small beginnings for God is happy to see the work begin. Hallelujah. God is happy to see the work begin. And that's how it works. And so I'm going to pray for you today because I'm telling you the same anointing that was on these men is the same anointing you have. It's not a different anointing. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. And so, Father, I pray for every person watching and listening to me. I pray that you would do the same things through them that you did through these men. But we know how it's going to happen. That, Lord, you'll put a hunger and urgency and a desire in us to stay on fire, to not let the fire go out in the name of Jesus and our hunger to read your word and our hunger to pray and our hunger to fast and our hunger to praise and our hunger to be in church and our hunger to hear preaching and teaching our hunger to press into communion with you, Lord. It's not diminishing. It's growing and growing and growing and growing. And because we'll be faithful to that, we purify ourselves. Your word declares that we'll be vessels of gold that can be used for every good work, every good work in the mighty name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory for what you're doing in in and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks, praise, and glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.